Let's go. You're listening to KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Yay area on 90.1 and across the world at KZSU.org. Welcome to Brands, Beats, and Bites, hosted by Daryl D.C. Cobbin and Larry Taman. Brands, Beats, and Bites stands at the intersection of brand, tech, and culture. We bring you interesting people and insightful points of view on what's popping and not popping in marketing, tech, culture, and beyond. DC and Larry are fascinated with the stories and people behind some of the best marketing in the business. No matter how dope your product, if your marketing sucks, your company may suck too. They both serve as managing partners at marketing consultancy Brand Positioning Doctors, where they help companies large and small, tech and non-tech, build better marketers so they can build great brands. What's happening, brand nerds? Welcome back to another Brands, Beats, and Bites podcast. We are in 2022 right now. I know, Jeff, you don't like me to like call out the dates, but I'm going to say this is the first podcast of 2022. And we got a special one for y'all. We got a special one. You know how we talk about our podcast and we break down each one in music terms. So this is album four, track one. And woo, do we have an MC to bless y'all today. <laughs> Sometimes y'all, y'all hear me talk about uh, folks that I know who are really dope marketing people, dope business people, and just dope people in general. And I will also reference the fact that there might be a friend of mine. Now, this brother and I, we don't talk as often as we used to, but I consider him to be my brother. And I can guarantee you he's going to drop some jewels on y'all. I can guarantee you. So with that setup, what's happening in the house tonight, Mr. LT? Oh, D, what a good man. It's so great to be back. 2022. Album four, track one, and like you said, what a better, we can't have a think of a better way than to start the year an album four with Phil Cologne. Welcome, Phil, to our house today. Thank you. Thank you so much, LT, Jeff, DC, Dave. I'm, I'm honored to, to be kicking off this album with a little freestyle and you know, look, when DC said Stanford University, I was going to say WBNB Baruch College Radio, where it all started. Papito, represent. Papito, come represent. on. Represent. First guest was poor righteous teachers. Who knows about that? That's okay. We'll talk about oh, that. Oh, well, PRT, you know, we brother. Give you PRT. PRT now, right, D? <laughs> yeah, well, before we do that, Larry, I just got to say this now. You all know this brother is Phil Cologne, those of you that know him, but he has an AKA. I call him Frankie Blanco. <laughs> That's awesome. We got to wrangle this back. This is starting off great. So, so D, you know this firsthand. Phil is one of those people who always seems to be like at least one step ahead while also being at the intersection of helping all constituencies that he touches. He always seems to be ahead of the crowd and it starts from the beginning. So we're going to break it down. So soon after graduating from Baruch College, as Phil just mentioned, which is awesome, in the early 90s, as a guy in his 20s, Phil co-founds and manages the first ever magazine catering to urban youth, right? Urban Latino youth, which is incredible, right? So then Phil then joins the Coca-Cola company in brand with his last position as the senior brand manager in the Northeast for Coca-Cola trademark brands, Coca-Cola, Diet Coke, and Sprite. So 
That's incredible to do that in your 20s. So after learning the halls of corporate with Coca-Cola as his first client, Phil then ahead of the game again this time, where he co-founds Latin Vox, one of the first full service agencies targeting Hispanics. Phil and his team soon bring in other prominent clients such as EA Sports, General Motors, and MTV, and working with Dee and his team at Boost Mobile. With this success, you know what happens. Vox Profero, who ends up being part of Mo and Lowe, purchases uh, Phil's agency, which is awesome. So now Phil's on to his next endeavor, where he co-founds with actress Rosario Dawson, Voto Latino, a nonprofit organization dedicated to driving political engagement among Hispanic youth. And if that's not enough, Phil then co-founds and becomes chief impact officer of Project 2050, a branding agency focused on leading companies towards leveraging and embracing a cross-cultural marketplace. Project 2050 is a purpose-driven and cultural movement company leveraging culture diversity insights to craft pro-social campaigns for clients credited with igniting cultural movements among the Latinx multicultural communities and emerging markets globally. P2050 exists to help brands make the right choices on where to play culturally and how to succeed in the process. The group has worked with leading brands such as Nike, Target, EA Sports, Spotify, the Coca-Cola company, Virgin, Brand Jordan, Walt Disney, NBA, and New Balance. So additionally, Phil is also founder of Elect, that's E-L-E-K-T, a peer-to-peer empowerment platform geared towards elevating ideas and voices from people of color, and is also publisher of Intelligentsia.io, a news and ideas platform informing and inspiring the next-gen Latinx community through insightful journalism and bold content-making news more accessible and relatable to a Latinx audience that may be out of touch with matters that can really affect their lives profoundly. Phil also serves as the executive board committee of the Eagle Academy, which provides quality education, resources, and proven effective community-based initiatives to at-risk young men. Phil also serves on the board of trustees for Ballet Hispanico, a leading performing arts and dance education institute. And lastly, Phil possesses an uncanny ability, as we mentioned earlier, really identifying cultural movements before they become mainstream. So he's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Advertising Age, Forbes, Brand Week, the National Journal, Fast Company, LA Times, New York Times, just to name a few. This is a special dude, D, someone who's having personal success while also helping people of color, most notably Hispanics. Brand nerds, buckle up and enjoy. Welcome to Brands, Beats, and Bites, Phil Cologne. Them, them, them your flowers, brother. Them, 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 this, that's what Larry does. Them your flowers. Ooh, thank Don't you. Pick them up, smell them, savor them. Larry, thank you for that. You know, uh, you did it, Phil. That's all you. Well, look, I one of the things that I'm I'm super uncomfortable talking about the stuff that I've done, <laughs> and so it's good for you to do that for me because I could not do it because I just mm. like to do, and so ah, I, and so. Big facts. So, so thank you for doing that. I could, I literally could have not done that. And by the way, that's just a lot of stuff. That is a lot of stuff. So I'm glad someone's doing it for you. Happy to do it. Okay. But thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right, Blanco, you've been in the game for a minute. I'm going to take us to our section. We call it get comfy. So this is something that Larry, Jeff, Jade, and I, we talk about and it is to get the guest comfortable, as in the name. Phil, you're always comfortable, brother. You're always comfortable. And what I decided for this particular section for you, brother, 
is to have you get into something that I don't hear discussed very often. You're one of the first people that I've ever heard talk about this. And as I said, I don't hear many. So when the term multicultural comes up, what many minds in marketing think are the following. Okay, so we gotta do something with some African-Americans, we gotta do something with some Latinos, we do something with some Asians, that kind of thing. And there is this bifurcation of black and brown. Early, Phil, when you and I met one another, you were on some, there's a higher order and opportunity if black and brown folks and when black and brown folks do things together. Share your thought about that and what this means to you and what you think it means to marketing. Okay, yes. So I've always been a believer that combined, we can do much more than we can silo. Mm -hmm. So I've always leaned on culture as the connective tissue to rather than race right and then growing up in new york growing up in new york it's a different existence than for most people's because you know some of my some of my best friends are african-american and and we share a lot of a lot of history together but i've always been fascinated with with the black and brown and i've always felt like there was a lot more room there for growth and you're right so back early in the magazine days i remember at urban latino magazine you know my two my two former partners there really wanted to be latin focused and i think that was certainly the the reason for the magazine it was a magazine that existed it was written in english because you know, no one was speaking to this generation in English. Everyone was just speaking to us in Spanish. And so they, there was this kind of cross-cultural language part that very few people understood. But I wanted to take that a step further. And I remember we were working on our, maybe it was our third anniversary cover. And I said, you know what? I want to put Lauren Hill on the cover. Mm. Interesting. But I want to put Lauren Hill with Santana. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, because that new song had just come out, and I'm like, there's something about that that I think offers so much substance. There's so many layers to that. You've got yeah. old school meets new school at that time, Lauren, and then you had Mr. Santana. You mm-hmm. had you had two genres of music connecting, but more so than any, you had two cultures that were very similar, essentially jamming on this single, and I felt like we needed to pay. Uh, attention to that and elevate and celebrate that and so it's the first time at least that I know in the media space where uh, a publication that was just supposed to be just Latin incorporated something that was not got it and and so for me it was kind of like all about that and uh, then I, you know, I remember, you know, a lot of the events we used to put together for the magazine, our musical acts also used to represent that. So we'd have like, you know, Mob Deep perform and then we would have like, you know, Mark Anthony perform right afterwards and people mm-hmm. would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and, 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 you know, so we were creating playlists back then. Okay. Right? Except they were in, in live form. So I've always been fascinated with that inner with the connectivity of black and brown, I feel like we need to be doing more of that. I think we've just scratched the surface. Mm. 
you know, Phil, going into the early phases of a magazine cover, in this case, Urban Latino, and saying you want to have Lauren Hill and Santana on the cover, how did your team and how did the company respond to that? You're bugging. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna, you're gonna confuse. You're gonna confuse people. I'm like, no, man. It it for me, it was my first brand exercise of broadening the brand presence, broadening the appeal of the brand, bringing new people into the franchise. Mm -hmm. Right. I think there's something to be said about having a media product that speaks to a certain demographic. But wouldn't it be more enticing if someone other than that demographic learned a little bit about your culture? So for me, mm -hmm. this was a way for others to say, well, look, let me, so I'm fascinated about this. Maybe there's something that I can learn a non-Latino about Latino culture, and this provides mm -hmm. me that avenue to explore. So I've always seen it as an opportunity to open up the aperture versus to just kind of keep it so, so uh, myopic. Yeah, I got one more thing here, Larry, and then please add Denzel Washington when he was doing fences, as he was doing his junkets, one of his phrases was culture, not color. And he talked about fences as a movie that he was able to do at a level of depth and nuance because he is an African-American man. And he thought that cultural perspective allowed him to do more. He said the same would be true, is true rather, of uh, um, Steven Spielberg and Schindler's List. Could you, Phil, have done that? Certainly. Could I have done that? Absolutely. But probably Steven Spielberg a little better at doing it. And so what you're saying is, at least what I'm interpreting you say is that when you allow those who are intimately uh, knowledgeable of a culture and uh, whatever that happens to be, and then you bring them together, there's a multiplying effect. Mm -hmm. And so you have an audience that, that they're like, at, at that time, probably early stage Fuji's, more like this before they blew up, I would imagine, more backpacker, you know, more backpacker, mm -hmm. you know, native tongues joint. That was the Fuji's back then. Now, after they did the score, now this, you know, that dropped the whole thing. Now everything changed. They were like a, a rock band, you know, a modern day rock yep. band. More backpackers, okay. And then you have Santana, you know, legendary rock guitarist with a Latin flair. So you have these two audiences who believe, myopically believed at that time, there's not a lot that connects those two, Santana and Lauren Hill. Now, looking back now, you go, well, of course. But then, no, to, sh to have the foresight, Phil, to see the connections across culture and, and then teach that to other folks, I just think that's wonderful, man. It's a, it's a necessary, vital tool and talent that not many have. You know what? It's, it's interesting that you bring that up because there's a recent example of how this was not done correctly. Okay, let's see so, so I was being interviewed about a month ago to get my, my take on the West Side Story remake. Oh, interesting. Oh, oh, oh yeah. So, so by the way, Steven Spielberg. 
Spielberg. Steve Spielberg. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. So, so this is this is interesting. So, they said, "Hey, Phil. So, so, what, what do you think about this remake? You know, what are your thoughts? Do you remember the first one? And 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 just what what are your thoughts in general? And I said, "Well, I said the movie's going to flop." Oh, okay. And now, but what is Steven Spielberg is doing mm -hmm. it? And we have Latino actors in it, different from the first one. And it's, and you know, and 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 we're introducing new subplots, and you know, it's and and it's shot in you know 4K and so on and so forth. I said, but it's the same story. Mm. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a story about Puerto Ricans speaking in heavy accents. Mm -hmm. Story about womenizing and machoism mm -hmm. in 2021. Right. What yeah. value is that going to bring to anyone? Uh, mm -hmm. But it's going to be shot. So, you know, and, and it's the best, you know, and we're providing opportunities for actors and actresses of color. I said, yes, you are. Yeah. But the narrative hasn't changed. Right. And so yeah, yeah. My, my, my pushback was, it took 50 years for Puerto Ricans to dispel the stereotypes that the first West Side Story put on yeah, an right. entire culture. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because back yeah. then there was only a few media players and it was a huge hit when it first came out. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was, yeah, it was, yeah. International. Yeah. So all of a sudden you had people that never encountered a Puerto Rican thinking yeah. that they behaved in a certain way. Right. And, and by the way, even after they watched West Side Story, they had still not encountered a Puerto Rican. But go ahead. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, right, exactly. Unfortunately, right. true. Unfortunately, right, yeah. so now fast forward 60 yeah. years later, you're doing the exact same story, using the exact mm. same stereotypes, throwing out yep. the same. The actors might be of color, thank you. But yeah. are you really, are, should you? should you really be the one telling this story? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Right? Do you have the cultural insights? Yeah, yeah. Direct this. You have the mm -hmm. technique to do it. You know, the angles. You know, you, you've got all of that done. Technically, you can shoot anything. Yeah, Mr. Right. yeah. But you really understand the culture. Yeah. And, and so that was that was my comments then to that article to say that I, I don't think anyone is interested in this story in 2021. That's a great point. And if I, if I can jump in, Phil, I love what you said here. And I want to make two points, one about what you just said, and then uh, a more macro one is that what you're really saying is if you're going to do a remake like that and you don't change the story and the culture was from it was around 1960, I think, late 50s, right? You you better do something different with it or not do it at all. And somebody who is of the culture should be the one telling that story. That's really what you're saying. If, if in fact, it's gonna be redone and it should be redone with a 2021 lens, right? Yes. I mean, you know, a lot has happened in 50 plus years. Yeah. Yes, uh, a couple, couple things, a couple things. <laughs> Just a few. And Dee, before we move on, I, I think we, uh, obviously we can move to the next section, but I just want to make a one, one meta point that I think is huge. Phil is a connector. That's what Phil does. Phil is a connector of people and cultures. And 
Phil, you do this seamlessly because as you mentioned before, you know, you grew up in New York City and you grew up in a multicultural brown and black, you know, community. And so it's just you living. And guess what? The world needs that. The world needs that in a multitude of ways. And you've been the one serving it up in, in, in many ways. So I just wanted to say that, Dee, before we move to the next section. Yeah, and, cool. I'd be rem and I'd be remiss if I didn't say I also grew up with some tough Irish dudes and some tough Italian dudes, and we <laughs> all kind of got along very well. But, you know, it, it, it was a microcosm, you know, yep. and, and, and we learned how to respect each other. We, we learned to, to lean into the things that connected us, which was hip hop and, and street culture. And so, yeah, for sure. Cool. We're gonna to move to the next section, Phil, and we call this five questions. I ask one, Larry ask another, we go back and forth until we get to five. Okay. Set up this first one though, bruh. I wanna mention a scenario that has nothing to do with Brandon and I'll relate it. So Phil, you remember an experience where you were a youngster, you met a young lady, young girl, and you were like, I think I love you. I I think I love you. Which she she just kind of lit your world up. You just thought about her all the time. You wanted to be around her all the time. Just smitten with this this young girl. All right. So I want you to have that emotion on your mind and and, and on your heart as I ask this next question. We're looking for something similar, but in the world of branding, where when you engage with it, it just made you just smile. You had joy, vibrations were high. You were like, I love this brand. What was the first branding experience for you that was like that? Wow, so it, it you painted a picture in my mind and it's crystal clear. Okay. So it goes, back, it. it goes back to our Coca-Cola days. Okay. So, so I remember one of my first pieces of advertising I did was with the local bottler that was servicing the Harlem area, Harlem, New York. Mm -hmm. And we were doing point of sale around mm -hmm. Coca-Cola Classic. And we had just, uh, we were pushing the 20 ounce bottle. And it was Valentine's Day. I don't know if you remember this or not. You may or may not. So the bottler said, hey, Phil, we need to come up with something that's going to really kind of speak to a consumer group, something that they're going to relate to in a, in a way that's, that's organic. And, and I said, well, let's create a point of sale piece around Valentine's that shows, you know, a girlfriend and a boyfriend. Mm -hmm arms around each other, mm -hmm. boyfriend has a 20 ounce in the back pocket of his jeans mm -hmm. and the lady and the girlfriend is grabbing for the 20 ounce in his back pocket. Mm -hmm. And the tagline says, because I'm feeling you. Mm. Okay, okay, that's dope. Happy, that's Valentine. dope. Happy Valentine's Day, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that go with legal. And, 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 you know, and, but, you know, it's vernacular, right? So it's a play on words. Yep. And so I remember that the bottler was like, I really like, I fail. Are you serious? Are you real? Like, are you? I'm saying, yeah, yeah. Trust me. Trust me. 
So I, we had someone that was running community relationships on the Bottler side. I can't remember the brother's name, but he's like, oh, yeah, I think that might work. So anyways, yeah. put it up in a few stores and then came back. Oh, man, they loved it. It was fantastic. And then I actually went into a store and I saw it on the counter. Ah. And that was my magic moment. And I said, and I looked at it, I was like, yeah, that feels right. That, that, that feels like a common connection between the magic of the brand and a cultural insight that married under the occasion because everything was occasion-based, right? Right? Yeah. You know, it was yeah. Holidays, yeah. occasion-based, Coca-Cola. So I had never seen anything like that, mm -hmm. you know, besides, you know, the, the great DC on the Sprite side, but we don't need to talk about that. Everybody <laughs> knows that, but, you know, at least I've never seen anything like that locally here. And so I think that was one of my one of my prou one of my proudest moments. I have a couple, but that that's that's the first one that comes to my mind. Mm, that's good, Larry. I love that. That sounds like again. That's why you were in the place that you were, literally and figuratively, to make sure that you're connecting with brand and target audience. And and so you know, it's great that they that that they actually let you do your thing. Quite yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it wasn't easy, but that they took a risk and they did it, and it proved to be something that was super relevant. And you know, and it's and again, it it brings you back to the to the you know Boost Mobile days of of the work that we did there. I mean, you know, when Verizon was talking about, can you hear me now? You know, we were saying, you know, what were we saying, DC? Where you at? Where you at? <laughs> you at? Can you hear me now? Come on, man. <laughs> So, so, so again, just understanding it's, it's, it's magical when a brand gives you the flexibility to, to do the things that you know are culturally relevant and right. And so for me, having the ability to take a brand that's, that's iconic and paint a little stroke onto it, I thought was, was one of the magical moments for me. Very so, cool. Quick comment. Then we're going to go to question number two. So brand nerds. If you are doing the same things that have always been done, you are not going to meet resistance because it's been done. Right. When you're doing something that hasn't been done, the reason why you're going to know it hasn't been done is because it's going to have resistance. Yep. By very definition, it's new, it's likely going to have resistance. So that's when you know you're onto something potentially unique. Here's the trick though. We often give up the fight too soon. Yes. At yeah. the first few signs of resistance, we go, ah, you know, you're right. We need to go back and do it the way we normally do it. Uh-uh, don't do that. Phil said, I feel something in this. Mm -hmm. I have a sense of this community. I grew up here. Yep. I know that this consumer will be able to relate to this on myriad levels. So because of that, hey, you know, I won't go with it. Yeah, I know, I know, I know you don't, you don't get it. I know maybe it don't make no sense. It's not clear to you. It ain't gotta be clear to you. It's gotta be clear to them. And I, I, I know them. So brand nerds, keep that in mind when you're doing like the new ish. Keep that in mind. All right. And D, before Next I question. go to question two, oh, I want to build one thing on what you just said. Not only that, yeah. you then become that much, you, that's the value you're providing. Yeah. That you become that much more valuable when you actually take a stand and it works 
and you're not doing the same as as, as people were before. That's where yep. organizations go. Oh, we got to keep this person. Yeah, the gem Great that point. I would that I would throw on top of that, and both of you guys can relate to this. The fight becomes harder the bigger the platform. Yes, mm-hmm. good point. All right, question Great. two, Phil, you ready? Yes. All right, so who has had or is having the most influence on your career? Who has had? <laughs> well, the man is, 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 is in this podcast, his name is Daryl Cobb, and we know this. <laughs> we, 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 we know this, you know, seriously. So, so Daryl has had uh, a great deal of impact on me since we've met each other. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with Daryl was probably one of the few people at his level that can relate to me. Mm. And so and so having that insight, having that understanding, I thought was valuable for me at that time. And then just just understanding how the mind, you know, DC's mind works in, in very unique, unusual great ways. Yes. I say all those words, you know, I'm, I'm being deliberate with my words. And, and so there's always something to be learned. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, I was like a cubic zirconia. And then when I met DC, I got diamonded up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Phil, you got to give us a good story though. You must have a story around this. Oh man. Putting you on the spot. Yeah. You know, well, look, look, look. So, so when they say like, you know, they, they, you know, it, it takes a neighborhood to raise a per, a child, right? It takes a community to work, you know. So, so in in terms of brand minds, DC is, is is certainly one that's that's helped tremendously. Steve Horn, another person that we know, oh, yeah, has mm-hmm. has been tremendous for me. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Steve Horn, Trevor you know, from, from Trevor Edwards, ex-Nike, former president of Nike. I've, I've always told, I think I've told DC and Trevor about each other, make that connection point. He should be on your show and I'm, I'm glad, I'll be happy to make that connection. Just great brand minds. And, you know, I, it, I can't point to one thing because there's so many of them, to be quite yeah. honest. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't, I, there's not one, I can't point to one. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, we've we've had a lot of them, uh, Larry, Phil, and I. So many conversations, so many moments. One of the treasures of my life. Uh, I do have one though. I'm gonna say this really quickly. It's not a branding story. It's a boys and family story. So, Larry, you know this. Uh, when I was married, I used to love to grill up steak. Mm-hmm. Love to grill up steak. So when Phil would come from New York uh, to Atlanta. He, he would come and hang with me and my family. So on one occasion, I got the whole barbecue situation happening with my family and Phil comes over, all right? So now Phil don't really know I can burn on the grill now. He don't really know. So I hook everything up and then Phil comes and he's eating and Larry, the look on this brother's face as he's putting his food in his mouth, he looked like he saw a ghost. He was like, <laughs> He was like, y'all getting down like this over here? And then check this out, check this out, LT. So I would send him pictures of what I'm grilling, all right? So now Phil gets married, he has his family, and and then they move to Jersey, and then he gets a grill, 
and he starts doing his thing and he sends me pictures <laughs> of what he with his family. Just a beautiful moment, Phil. Just a beautiful, beautiful moment. I remember that. I remember that very, very well. Those were very well cooked steaks, DC. I have to tell you that. <laughs> but remember, I still had a uh, vacuum sealed. Those were, I, I yes. remember that. Very That's right, cool. brother. That's I remember right. that. Whew. All right, man. We'll go to the next question. Phil, as evidenced in Brother Larry's eloquent, highly in depth, creative, articulation of your magnanimous background, all right? <laughs> this third question has nothing to do with the wonderful successes that make you you. We want to know your biggest F up and what you learned from it. Oof. Wow. There's a few. We all have them. So I'll give you three. Because I oh, oh, we, oh, 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 Larry, we're getting three up. They're, they're interrelated in a way. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's hear. Let's hear. So the the first one I'll start with the with the most important part is be careful who you hire. Ooh. Ooh. What glitters is not always gold. Ooh. And so the right hire and the wrong hire can can do incredible damage to your organization uh, or can elevate your organization. Right. So, yeah. so really being deliberate with who you bring on to your team mm -hmm. is important. And you have to follow your gut and your instinct in that capacity. Mm -hmm. so, so I would say one of my biggest F-ups was not following my instinct when my instinct was telling me, no, no, that's not going to be good. Wow. But what I saw on paper, yes, I got, I, I was, you know, I was hypnotized by what I saw on paper. You were seduced, brother. Right. I was seduced. You were seduced. I, so I turned down what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I turned that volume down. And that's always, that's always led me to making bad decisions. So I would say in, in that concert is, is continue to trust your instincts and be very deliberate about who you hire. Ooh, mm -hmm. So, so, so I, I would say that's, that's one hiring okay. is important, right? Yeah. Hey Phil, before you move on, do you mind if I ask you a question about that? Sure. It, it, it sounded like the person on paper was perfect. Like all the things were, were lining up, but your gut was saying, do it right like and so how loud was that voice and and did and how quickly did you know uh-oh great questions Woo! these are good okay how loud was that it yeah. wasn't it wasn't loud enough where where it triggered my uh defense mechanisms to go okay right because but it, it was happened, there yeah because it happened within the the confounds of there was a lot popping for me at the time yeah so there was a lot a lot of things happening great got it. things happening and so this was just a, a microcosm of a myriad of things that were happening got and it so part of that because there were so many things happening i had to kind of make what i thought was a was a quick decision 
Right. But 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 it proved in my mind, I didn't think it was going to be that significant. But when when you put that person against one of your biggest accounts, then yeah. you understand how that can manifest itself. Right. Right. You know? So at the very minute. I didn't feel a tremendous need. It was kind of one of those things. I'll deal with it later. Right. I just need a stopgap right now. Right. But then you never get to it. Ah. And by the time you try to get to it, it's already gotten to you. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's dope. If that makes sense. It does. It makes sense. That's the yeah. first one. That's the first one. And so the, the, the second one is having the patience to let the play develop in front of me. <laughs> mm. So we're all watching, you know, we're knee deep in the, in the NFL playoffs. Yep. You know, you're seeing great running back play. And, you know, I compare it to a great running back. A great running back is going to pick and choose their holes, but they're going to let their tackles open up the lanes for them. Right. Right. I want to take that ball and I want to run through the first hole I see. Yeah. Yeah. So I might get three yards, but if I let the play develop, yep. I might take it to the house. Yep. So having mm -hmm. the patience to let the play develop is also something that I wish I, I, I could have done differently as I think mm -hmm. about kind of like my career. That's a jewel, D. Do you have, Phil, a specific example of when you did not allow the play to develop in front of you and you ran your ass up in a hole and got cracked after a couple of yards? Right. Great question. So, yes. So, they, so we, we had a client that wanted to do three separate projects on the same day. Okay. Right and said, hey, Phil, we love what you did with us, you know, X, Y, Z, we've got these things coming up. We've got three projects. Can you do them? Mm -hmm. Happening on the same day. Okay. Three big profile events happening on the same day. Can, can you do it? And so mm -hmm. my mind's like, of course, of course we can do it, mm -hmm. right? You know, mm -hmm. we, we just, you know, we build the plane as it's flying, right? That's it, right. Of course we do it, because that's just the, the hustle. But had I had been patient, hindsight, I would have said, I just like to do two. Mm -hmm. Assign that third one to someone else. Mm -hmm. Because having that patience would have given me a longer term return. Yes than the immediate of the three. So to cap that story off, two events ran really well. The third event did not go very well. And so it cost me Ooh. an account. Ah. Right? Whereas if you did just the two, they would have been thrilled and wanted even more, but wanted you to do even more. That's what you're saying, right? It, 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 exactly. And so that, that's just... That's just one, one example of something where if I just be a little patient, I've got enough food to eat. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't need an extra triple chocolate cake. Right. Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. So, so that's where sometimes, you know, your expectation ex exceeds your, no, I should say your expectation, but your desire exceeds yeah. what, what should be the best, you know, route to take at that particular moment. So you have to have hindsight. You have to be able to step back and look at the entire field and say, what will be the ramifications of this decision mm -hmm. through the course of this entire game? Yep. Will this result in a turnover in the pick six? Mm -hmm. Do I punt the ball and get better field position the same, you know, the next, uh, you know, we're going way sports right now, so I apologize. But no, this, it's, it's very relevant, and, it's, and I'm going to give you 15 seconds. Jimmy Garoppolo not waiting for Trent Williams to be set, and the game's over if he just do, did what you said. Instead of having that crazy ending, it was good for, for the NFL and their ratings, but not good, you know, and he, it didn't burn him, but that's what you're talking about. Jimmy G did everything possible to blow that game. Exactly. <laughs> he tried really hard. He tried, he tried really, really hard. And, and um, they would say in my neighborhood, bless his heart. Bless, bless his heart. heart. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's so, so that, that's another one. And, and, and I guess a third one, and I think I learned this from DC, I'm pretty sure, is trust but verify. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Keep going on that, Phil. That one kind of lends itself to, to both examples almost. It lends yeah. itself to the first one about your hire and the importance of hiring the right people. It, it probably lends itself more to that point is it's, you got to do your homework. You got to yeah. do your due diligence. And because, you know, not, not everything appears to, not everything turns out to, to be the way it appears. And so I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt, mm -hmm. but I'm also scrutinizing what happens next. And so trust but verify to me is an important, I think it's a, it's a phrase that, that, that Reagan used. And, and, and so I, that, that's always kind of resonated with me and, you know, and, and, you know, yeah, trust but verify. Love this. Beautiful. We ready to move to the next question, D? These are, these are awesome, Phil. Thank you. Sure. Let's do it. Let's right. do it. So regarding technology and marketing, can you tell us where you think marketers should lean in or best leverage tech versus areas that they should be leery? Yeah, you know what? I think just consumer marketing in general, I think is going through a transformation right now, to be quite honest. I think there's this tug of war between tech and, and storytelling. And I, and I mean storytelling by, you know, what I mean by storytelling is, is true brand building. Mm -hmm. I often tell people that, you know, Disney was creating magic before there was Facebook and, and you know, Coca-Cola was creating magical moments before there was Google and, and Nike was telling us to just do it before there was Instagram. And so I think there's something to be said about the, the importance of, of really being a brand builder and telling stories. And I think this tug of war between, you know, data science and storytelling, I think it's reached a tipping point. And so, although I'm fascinated with, you know, data helping us how to best maybe tell those stories, right? it provides us some insights of maybe some things that, that, that we can take into that storytelling but I don't think it should be the, the end all be all. So I'm, I'm less excited about performance marketing because performance marketing, I think AI is going to be doing that on its own. 
Right. And so you need the nuances and the, you need the in-betweens, you need the gray areas, you need, you, you need to add, add context and texture to those data points so that you can craft a story that's going to resonate with your end consumer. So it looks like, you know, technology's definitely dug a stronghold in consumer marketing, but I feel like a resurgence of, of true storytellers are coming back right now. And I think it's under the guise of culture because I think culture, you know, look, you know, Steve Jobs, the difference between like, you know, a marketer and, and someone and a brand builder, you know, Steve Jobs created a product that you didn't know you wanted mm -hmm. until he made it. Yep. Right? Data didn't give him that information. Nope. Imagination gave him that information. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that we're entering into this new phase of imagination. And Sorry. I think that that's going to unlock uh, a lot of greatness in challenger brands. I think this is the year of challenger brands. I think there's a huge resurgence of startups. I'm super fascinated with the CPG space is where all of us began. Yep. See great innovation in that place. And I see great, and, and, and by the way, a lot of these tech companies are doing great work in the CPG category. And I'm, I'm super excited about that. So yeah, I hope I answered your question. Yo, incredibly well. I think you, you, as usual, you're seeing ahead. It, this, is, this is very much in line with who you are, Phil. I think you took the question and saying, here's where I think this is going and, you know, and performance marketing. Yeah, great. But that's of today. Well, what's happening next? And I think you, you did an incredible job of, uh, of telling us and our audience where, where things are headed. Do yeah, you want to add anything to that or before we head to the next question? I'm good, brother. I'm ready to hit the next one. Great. Blanco, there's a lot for you to be proud of. I'd like to know what you're most proud of. Oof. Yeah, I, look, I have to say that I, I can tell you what I'm most proud of now. Mm -hmm. And I say Great. that now because I think my story still has chapters. Of course. Mm -hmm. So I think for the time being, I think I'm most proud of you know, my family, that's, that's first and foremost. Yep. And so I'm, I'm proud of, you know, the kids that Angela and I have, 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 have brought into this world and seeing them develop, I think it's been one of my proudest moments. Shout out, Angela and Shout what's his name? Shout out Stella, Stella and Sammy one time. Stella and Sammy one time. Awesome. Yes, yes. So it's, it's, and also, uh, uh, Larry, there's a new addition, a dog, Sky. Oh, Sky. we love it. That's correct. She came, Sky came to us last Christmas. You know, she was the, a pandemic puppy and, and she's kind of uh, fit in nicely into the household. And awesome. so I'm so happy about the, the family unit we've been able to build. That's number one. On the number two, I have to say, you know, Volta Latino is one of those kind of proud moments for me. You know, it happened at a time where there was a lot of civil unrest I think in our society kind of goes through these cycles of unrest. And, and this happened at a time where I felt like the Latin community was getting battered and beaten and, and didn't have a voice. And so that was one of my proudest achievements is being able to kind of build that from, from the ground up and see it be successful and, and be the organization that it is today. You should be um, incredibly proud of that, Phil, really. Yeah. No, I feel really good, uh, good about that. And, but, but, you know, I'm still focused on what can be better. 
And right. so that that those are the two things that I think would 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 kind of count. There's probably a few more, but those are the ones that, that stand out the most. Cool, brother. Cool. All right, D. Those are great. Those are really great, Phil. <clears throat> are we ready to go to the next section? Let's do it. All right, Phil. What's popping, D? Phil, what's popping? Mm. What's popping? Right, Phil. This is our chance to shout out, shout down, or simply air something happening in and around marketing today that we think is good fodder for discussion. So, D, do you want to take the first one, or shall I? Let me take it, uh, LT. Let me take Run it. Run it. In honor of my, my man, Phil, here, he mentioned the term challenger brands earlier. And my what's popping is established brands versus challenger brands. I'm going to the fashion industry. So in the fashion industry, the major high-end fashion brands, some of them are the following. Dior, Gucci. LV, Balenciaga, Balmain, Hermes. These are the, uh, the cadre, if you will, of established fashion brands. Uh, here in Atlanta, if you go to Phipps Plaza or Lenox Mall, these are the two malls here. They're, they're right uh, adjacent from one another. Even during the pandemic, you go to the LV store, they have like roped off areas, people outside of the stores waiting to get inside of the stores to drop racks. The Gucci store in Phipps Plaza, LV is in Lenox uh, Square Mall. The Gucci store is in Phipps Plaza. The line was going from the door all the way down the hall. It's like you think they're giving away Gucci stuff in there. Wow. The incredibly uh, vibrant brands. However, oh, another thing they're doing is like, like Gucci, they're doing all these collabs right now, these capsules with other brands. And so you might think they're comfortable looking at the lines outside of the stores, that kind of thing. But there's a new set of brands coming and they're challenger brands. My middle daughter, her name is Lauren. She attends Savannah College of Art and Design, the Atlanta Institute, SCAD, shout SCAD one time. And shout Lauren. And, yeah, 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 and, and shout Lauren, and shout Lauren. So she has done photography, she's done fashion design, and currently she's doing fashion marketing. And I'm asking her, Lauren, who are some of the next designers? And she says, well, dad, there's Marnie, never heard of Marnie. There's Acne, never heard of Acne. There's Hilia and a cold wall. And these are just a few of these she mentioned. So I said, show them to me, Lauren. So she shows me their websites and Phil and Larry, the designs of these designers, the avant-garde, bold nature of them, I've never seen. Wow. With Balenciaga, with Balmain, or Dior. I've never seen any of this stuff. And then I said, uh, I said, Lauren, you know, how much would this like utility vest, for example? She's like, like a couple hundred dollars. Okay. You can't get a Dior t-shirt for less than four, five hundred dollars, let alone a utility vest. And then I said to her, I said, so Lauren, are you, are you 
interested in the established fashion brands. And she says, no, dad, my friends and I are not. And I said, why not? And she said, in so many words, you all discovered those brands. Yep. We're discovering these brands. Yep. And I just paused for a second. Now, you all can't see Phil right now. He's got his hand on his chin. He's put his hand on his chin. And so what's popping for me is the ability of challenger brands to leverage the notion of discovery and cutting edge risk in ways that established brands can do, but aren't doing. So here's my prediction. Now, remember I mentioned these brands now. Marnie, Acne, Hilliot, or Hilliot, Hilio, I'm not, not sure of pronunciation. I'm sorry if, if, if that's it, uh, if I'm wrong about that, and a cold wall. Five years from now, these are going to be the brands that are established brands. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen with Armadis. I don't know what's going to happen with, with Gucci. I'm sure they're going to be around, but the lines might be at these new challenger brand spots and not at the established brands. So that's what's popping for me. What say you, gentlemen? Phil, I'd love to hear your take on this. I, I, I have to think about this right now. Okay. I have to okay. think about this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save mine for last. Okay, so let me jump in, Phil, while you're thinking. Okay, so what strikes me is that I think every generation has their, like, their brands, right? Like who really is of them and, and really represents who they are. So I think yeah. there's a natural natural cycle of things. So of course, yeah. Lauren's saying that these are our brands, Dad. So yes. So I think that's really interesting. So what happens here to me though is, how does the marketing and business side that mm -hmm. enter into the equation? And here's where where I'm going with this. Do these brands do what let's say a Nike did or other brands that have really popped with people and say, no, we're just we're staying the course. And we're just going to kick ass. Or yep. at some point, does Gucci, again, I'm just using them as illustrative, say, you know what, Marty, what's it going to take? We're offering you X dollars. You know, what's the deal? Where they, in essence, bring Marty within house, right? And, and in essence, they become part of the Gucci umbrella, whether they stay their own course as their own brand D, we yeah. talk about this all the time. Are they the yeah. PNG example where they yeah. continue and, and nobody knows it? We, we talk about this all the time. Almost no young people understands that Instagram is owned by Facebook, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or do they take an approach that where they become a sub-brand? And again, we're just using Gucci as a luxury. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. that's going to be really interesting to see where the marketing and business of all this you know, how that gets integrated, whether they stay the course and stay independent, or whether they, you know, take what would probably be huge money and become part of a larger organization of establishment. That's a great point, Larry. I want to add some real quick, Phil, before you go. I sure. forgot that Lauren said this. Well, she didn't say this part. I'm going to get to what she said in a moment. For our generation, these brands, Dior, Gucci, LV, Let's take LB out for a moment, Balenciaga, Balmain, Armas, is that I know what those brands are. And I believe many today buy those brands because they know what they are. Yep. Here's what Lauren said to me. She knows who designs it. Wow. And so 
what was the deal, I think, and has been, and still a large part now, for this younger generation, it's who. So your point about if Gucci buys Marnie, for example, right? I'm not quite sure that Marnie is going to hold on to its brand efficacy right. if whoever created Marnie is now gone. Now right. let me go back and show how this works uh, again. I've bought headphones before. I used to buy Bose headphones for a long time. Okay, I bought them because the what for me was a high quality headphone, all right? Now, Phil mentioned Steve Jobs. I bought Apple shit because of the who. I knew that dude, Steve Jobs, he's in there making certain that I'm gonna get the absolute best stuff. And I also wanna relate this to me and the teams that I've been a part of, which Phil knows, you know as well, Larry, I think when we were doing our Sprite stuff and it landed in the universe, it's my belief that millions of people paused and said, who, who are the people making that? No doubt. They, they know something. Yep. Yeah, they know something. So I just want to add that. Okay, all right, Phil, the floor is yours, brother. Yeah, you know, I, I think I take that, by the way, it's all very true, by the way, those, those brands are super dope brands. It reminds me of the music industry, Yeah. Right? You know, you had your record, major record labels, and then, you know, and then Russell comes around and says, we're just going to do it our way. And, great, uh, yeah, great analog. And, and, and yeah. you know, and they form their own culture around music and then the majors buy them out, right? That's, that's kind of right. like the exit strategy, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I think an example on the fashion side was when Supreme got acquired by VF Corp. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know if Supreme is still Supreme. Yep. Uh, I, I, right? My opinion, it is not. Yep. Right? So, so there's yeah. something to be said. It's a trade-off there, you know, it, but it's interesting. I think Lauren is, is on point. I think every generation looks for brands that they can identify with. And I That's think- theirs almost, Phil, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the challenge for, for legacy brands is how do you remain relevant? Yep. Right? Yes. And, and, yes. And, and you got to tip your, your cap off to, you know, to Jordans and and, yeah. and, you know, and what they're doing there. I remember when we did the 25th year anniversary for brand Jordan as a brand. And it dawned on me then that there were people at that event that never saw Jordan play. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. right. Never saw him play. Right. Yeah, that's right. He was yeah. as passionate about his shoes than anybody else. Yep. Yeah. Right. I think that's the power of creating that kind of, you know, that legendary status that kind of transcends generations and there's something about the ethic that went behind the forming of that yeah figure called michael jordan that people can relate to tenacity yeah. hard working you know killer yeah. instinct all of those yeah. things that that are relatable right now so so yeah i i think i think is is the year of the challenger brand you know i went snowboarding this past weekend with with sammy and I and I noticed this this bus wrapped with this brand called Two Robbers. And I said, two Robbers, okay. Two uh, Robbers. I said that's dope. I said, what is this? Yeah. Two Robbers. <laughs> it was a hard salsa brand, but it was all wrapped in the skate culture, snowboarding right. culture. I said, uh, I said that right there is going to be a dope brand in about forty eight months. Uh, never saw them before. That was my first interaction with this uh, that's brand. Good. That's interesting. 
the name, something about the name, the yep. visuals were great. The logo was fantastic. It ain't Bud Light Seltzer. It's not Bud Light Seltzer. <laughs> Bud Light Seltzer. <laughs> say, that, say that one more time. Big facts. <laughs> no offense to our friends at Anheuser-Busch, but yeah. Shall we move? Should we move to mine? Uh, my what's popping? Let's do it, yes. brother. Okay. So uh, I don't know if you gentlemen saw, but NBC Universal's Peacock had an interesting announcement last week. And so the press release said, seeking to broaden the appeal of its streaming service, Peacock, they announced plans to launch a Latino-focused programming hub called T-Plus on the platform. And the new offering, which is scheduled to launch this fall of 2022 on Peacock, is designed to be a digital extension of NBC Universal's popular Spanish language television network, Telemundo. And by the way, this also corresponds with the World Cup taking place in November and December, which is so weird because it's in Qatar. And Telemundo has the Spanish speaking rights while Fox has the English speaking rights. So did you gentlemen see that announcement? No, I did not. Um, Phil, had you seen it? I did. Okay, love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> It's the, it's the same old, same old. So, you know, look, I've lived through MTV Tres, MTV, there's been so many attempts right. of legacy companies trying to speak to this demo and they still don't get it. <laughs> that because was my reaction. So I, that, I wanted to tee this up for you. But, but by the way, I appreciate it, though. I, I, I certainly do. I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that there's, a, there's an understanding that there's a consumer marketplace that probably brands are not fully tapping into. I, I, I think there's an instinct by media companies and marketers that, that, that does exist. The part that everyone seems to get wrong is they focus too much on language and not enough on culture. Ooh. To me, culture is the driver. Language is the execution part. <laughs> language is tactical. Culture yes. is strategic. And so not understanding the cultural nuances that we spoke about, not having an intimate understanding of how they intertwine with other cultures, not having that insight, not knowing how to turn that on, not knowing how to make that sexy, not knowing how to make that hot, not knowing how to make that relevant, Without those ingredients, a platform for that is just an added value for a brand looking to spend some dollars. Are you really going to move culture? I don't know. Man, Phil, that's a like, mic. That is no. So, so you, you said that so well. Do you want to add anything to that? Because I Phil dropped some incredible jewels on us there. Yeah, I do want to add something. Back to what I said earlier, connecting it to Phil and his story about the uh, Valentine's Day Coca-Cola POS uh, in Harlem and beyond in New York City. And you know you're going to meet resistance when you take a risk. What I find interesting about T-plus is not that it's T-plus, but that when all of these media companies were contemplating their premium service, the first one to do it, I believe, was Disney. And they announced their uh, premium offering was going to be called Disney Plus. And I'll be damned if every media company after that 
every one of them did not have whatever the name is and plus. All of them had it. Now, uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, so uh, other than sports and um, in history and things like that, documentaries. So I'm out of school when I say this because I don't really know. But if someone said, let's just go around the horn and for each of these networks, fill in the bank plus, you tell me what the plus really means other than more money. <laughs> other than subscription. What does the plus, what are you getting more of that you really want? And by the way, well, they're getting a direct relationship with you. That's what they're loving about this because they're taking yeah. the middleman. That's, that's really right. the, the, the business part of this equation. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that's for the companies to do. So that, that's what, so right. what I would say to uh, Telemundo Plus is that I would ask my Latino brethren and sistren, what do you think you're going to get from Telemundo and this plus that in your mind, you just can't live without? Yeah. What, what, so, so in, in other words, let me just say it like this. I would have this as an additional word to all of these companies, including Telemundo, blank plus, and my final word would be what? That's me. Do you have uh, a what's popping for us? NFTs are popping. Ah, okay. 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 Yeah. 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 And what's popping is how brands are starting to play in the space. And it brings me back to this whole idea of limited. Now we mm. all de dealt with limited products and services in our marketing careers, right? You know, Boost Mobile, limited phones, designer phones and limited, you know, right? The, the unlimited is the new limited, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and so it's interesting to see how that's manifesting itself in the NFT community and how brands are starting to play in that space, like the Nikes of the world and, and, and offering limited product, NFT art products. I think that's interesting. I'm going to keep my eye on that as that community continues to evolve and expand. There's a lot of garbage on NFTs. There's, there's, there's a lot of gems. There's a lot of hype. But there are some kind of I see long-standing platforms that are be, being developed. So I'm super fascinated about that space. Mm. So I, I, I will have more to offer at a later date because I'm totally immersed in it right now because I really want to get a better understanding of it. But, mm. but it's definitely, you know, virtual reality is the new reality, right? And so yeah. that's popping to me. How brands interact in the NFT space is popping to me. Mm. Very cool. Truth be told, Phil, we've, we've had the good fortune of getting involved in NFTs for clients. And it, it is incredibly fascinating, incredibly dynamic. And I feel like we're just literally scratching the surface. And I say we both in, the, in our consulting side, brand positioning doctors, as well as the macro is really fill, figuring it out. And I do love the opportunity as a brand to really enable your brand lovers to really have something that they can, they can hold and hold dear to them. I, I think from a brand standpoint, that's a huge opportunity and figuring out how to do it and how it manifests itself, I think is, is going to be a huge part of the equation here. Yes, yes, I agree with that. And, and I'm gonna add another thought for you guys to, to maybe react to. A lot of the things that I've been working on lately with clients revolves around creating the right 
corporate culture. Mm-hmm. I think corporate culture is popping. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I think the conundrum now that companies are facing is, you know, under this guise of the, the great resignation, they're having trouble retaining quality people, you know, working at their companies. And I think they're struggling with that. And, and you know, it's no longer like, you know, you know, free meals on Friday or chef cooked mm-hmm. meals or like, you know, as many m and yeah, that, that's, that's over. That's yeah, that's done, over. you know, and I, and I think brands are having trouble figuring out what is that piece? What is that connective tissue that I need to extend to my mm-hmm. workforce that's going to get them to continue to be here and want to be here and want to excel at what they're doing? And mm-hmm. so... I think HR departments are being disruptive right now. And I think Mm. there's a lot happening in that particular space. The HR space needs disruption. Mm. Um, How do you evaluate employees? How do you promote employees? How do you reward employees? I think that entire ecosystem of remote work, hybrid work, creating the right culture where you feel you belong, that whole area is absolutely popping. Mm. And I think will be the competitive advantage between a brand that exceeds and a brand that fails. That's strong, brother. That is strong. That's strong. I think it's time for us to wrap things up, D. I mean, that was a a mic drop, Phil. Are we in LT? Okay. Right. This this has been so awesome. DC, you want to posit your learnings first or shall I? Would you do the honor, uh, brother? I would love to. And I think uh, I'm going to segue with what Phil was just talking about. I have five fantastic learnings, I think, that Phil posited. Oh, okay. Okay. And and one is a perfect segue with what he was just talking about with culture. And Mm -hmm. and it goes to his biggest F up is the first one is be very deliberate in who you hire. Yeah. You, and deliberate means you got to really know who you are and really smart in connecting the dots there. So that's the first one. Here's the second one is a challenge to the brand nerds out there. Like Phil has done throughout his career and continues to do, be the connector. This, mm-hmm. this is going to serve you personally and your community and mankind. So that's the second one. Mm-hmm. Third, have patience to let the play develop in front of you. That's such a great one and one of his F-ups. And my fourth one is start with the brand first and then figure out how the tech can help advance or enhance your brand and your brand story. Mm. And then the last one is, this is such a huge jewel that he just mentioned a few minutes ago. Language is tactical. Culture is strategic. I love that one. Mm, Mm. Oh, it's it's so it's so sexy. It's so sexy. (laughs) Uh, uh, Is is that it for you, brother Larry? Yes, that's it. Those are excellent. I failed to mention this up front, as Phil was talking about, and you brought this up, Larry. The the remake of West Side Story, and so. Brother Phil talked about how he thought that wasn't going to work. I don't know what it did at the box office. I haven't heard it, you know, setting the world on fire. But that's true of many movies during COVID. 
But I failed to mention now, y'all who cannot see Phil, is that the, the brother's from PR. So when he's talking about Puerto Rican culture, he knows something about it because the brother's Puerto Rican. So I, I just needed to call that out, call that out. All right. Phil, when we first began the Brands, Beats, and Bites podcast, when we would come to the end, uh, the show close, and we talk about what we've learned from those that we have had the auspicious opportunity to spend some time with, I would talk about what I heard and uh, what I thought might need to be pulled out for the benefit of our, of our podcast listening audience. And then I don't know when, uh, Larry or Jeff or Jay, somewhere along the line of doing these podcasts, as I listened to folks, visions would come into my mind of not what the person did or is doing that I have the pleasure of talking to, Larry and I have the pleasure of talking to on podcast, but who is this? And what is the gift that they have that they are contributing to the world that no one else can do in the way that they do it. The same now has happened with, with you, Phil, and I've known you forever. I'm gonna go through and set up a couple of things that you said and then get to my concluding about who I believe you are and the gift that you bring forward uh, to the world. You started talking about the difference between culture and, uh, and language or culture, I'm going to call it race of color. You use that with the West Side Story, which we've already talked about here. You talked about the time you did not trust your instincts. You did not trust your instincts with a higher. And you look back, you wish you had. And then when we said, when we said, okay, why, Larry asked a good question. Why did you not, like what happened there? I think it was you, Larry, that's question. You talked about, hey, th there, there was a, uh, you are Oh, we're doing well. And so Larry said, how loud was the voice? He said, it wasn't that loud because we were doing well. Mm -hmm. In other words, there was some noise in the atmosphere, Bill. And oftentimes success comes with noise. Now, when you go to the therapist's office, they don't say, I'm really glad you're here. To set the stage for how we're going to talk with one another, and as we talk with one another, I'm gonna have this marching band come in here and they go just bang, 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 so that we can chat. They don't do that. They say, quiet. Might be some incense, some, some candles coming on, maybe some very silent, low decibel concerto. And the reason why they do that is because they want to give you space to think. That's, that's why that happens, all right? Then you talked about letting the play develop in front of you, how you would just hop out there and you mentioned the word patience. Patience, young lad. Larry's already brought this up, Phil, about you being a connector and about you seeing things early. Lauren Hill, Santana, putting them together, that kind of thing. I don't think I've ever heard the term yet, Phil, brand psychic, <laughs> brand psychic. When we hear the word psychic, sometimes we think of these weird people attempting to predict the future and that kind of thing. We go, ah, ah. But in the brand world, there are a few people who can 
actually do it. They can actually see what will manifest before it manifests. And then the challenge field becomes getting everyone else to buy into and trust that you can see something that others cannot see. Jeff and I have had this conversation as well, uh, not about you, but just in some things we were doing. So you're a brand psychic. Now, why would you mention NFTs popping? Why? Because you're a psychic. Now, a lot of us out here in the world will go, well, you know, I gotta kind of wait until these NFTs kind of settle down a little bit. I don't really know what it is. I'm non-fungible token. I don't know what the fuck that is. So yeah, I know I kind of got to do it, but it feels so new to me. So we got to get some experts to help us figure this out. This is what many think. But if you go back, and this is what you're able to do, and you go to examples that are already known, that we're comfortable with. There's a book called Sapiens that I'm, uh, I'm rolling through now. This is a great book. I've heard uh, that, D. Oh, this is a, oh, yeah. So I Write think Yaval Noah Harari. If I'm butchering your name, brother, I'm sorry. Sapiens, all right? And he talked about money. Now, everyone on the globe is aware of money. If you take out a $20 bill, a 20 quid, or 20 yen, or 20 rand, we all know what that is, right? But, but this is what he says. He said, this is mine. All it is, piece of paper with some color on it. Yep. That's all it is, okay? But so why do we value that? Well, we value it because that piece of paper is convertible. So we can convert it into other things and go get some milk, get a car, get a house, that kind of thing. And the other thing is that there's an agreed alignment on its value. So if you run that up, now this is this, this dude's thinking, it's about trust. We trust, I trust Phil, like, yo, that 20 bucks, I trust that he understands the value of that 20 bucks. So when I go and I get a haircut, you can, Phil as a barber has to trust that, I, that that $20 is $20. And I have to trust this dude's gonna like cut my hair for $20. So that's the trust, that's the foundation of it. The same is true of NFTs. Right now, to most of us, NFTs like this way out there, all it needs is the following, that, that there's some convertibility of its value. I got an NFT, I sell that, I'm gonna go buy a house. And that there is a value that's aligned to that NFT. Oh, that's a Banksy NFT. Oh, that, that yeah, that's gonna be like 30 million, all right? So really, what I'm coming to is a brand psychic, even though a brand psychic and you are fit, can look deep into the future. What the best brand psychics can really do is they can connect it to the past and have some of the same fundamentals of the dollar dollar bill, y'all, <laughs> and connect it to the NFT. Phil, you can see these things. Most cannot. I'm going to add a little bit to that. This brand and the world is the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah. Biggest brand in the world. And God Biggest we trust. Yeah. I agree with that. In God we trust. Yep. In God we trust. So if I put on a piece of paper some colors, some numbers, and put in God we trust, and it's an American dollar, even the dude in Pakistan will go, yep, that's what it is, and I want some of them. So, brother, you're a grand psychic, Bill. Thank Love you. It. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, well, so, Phil, anything you learned from our wonderful conversation today? That you guys are wonderful. <laughs> and that, and that I, I always enjoy having a dialogue with, with each one of you, either individually or as a group. I think it's important to have these conversations. I think yes. for your audience that might be new to the branding game or trying to get into marketing or entertainment or, or, or some aspects of that. I think it's important to take away some of these gems and, and not, not do the same mistakes. I, I think that's a, a very valuable outcome of these podcasts. So I've enjoyed my time here. Thank you for the platform. And uh, I hope that we've had uh, you know, a meaningful effect on, on someone's life. Boy, well said. That, that is perfect. Perfect ending and a bow on, on the show here as I go into the... Uh, outro here. So brand nerds, thanks for listening to Brands, Beats and Bites, recorded virtually on Zoom in a production of KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM radio worldwide at kzsu.org. The executive producers are Jeff Shirley, Daryl DC Cobbin, myself, Larry Taman, Joseph Vanderson, Jay Tate, Haley Cobbin, and Tom Dioro. The pod, Baba. And if you are listening to us via podcast, it would be great if you can please rate and review us. Additionally, if you do like the show, please subscribe and share. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to next time where we will have more insightful and enlightening talk about marketing with another great business leader as our guest. If you wish to contact us, our email is brandsbeatsbytes at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that is brands, B-R-A-N-D-S, beats, B-E-A-T-S, bytes, B-Y as in yellow, T-E-S at kzsu.stanford.edu.